Truck it. I'm Dooner. That's the dude. And we are live from Freight Waves, autonomous and electric vehicle virtual event. How you doing, dude? I'm doing great, man. I'm excited listening to a lot of really, really interesting talks so far, man. Yeah, yeah, we came in this morning, we kicked off the show with Alan Adler, and, you know, I, uh, we didn't make it up. There's going to be a lot of great topics coming in today. And, you know, in some senses, especially since this new technology, I have... Uh, I have more questions than answers because each time, each time one of these great speakers says a point, and I'm like, okay, but how does that work? How does that? How is that going to function in the real world? Yeah. What's going to happen when that touches the dock? What happens without the human intervention? What happens if there's a crash? I mean, there's so many answers that we still need. Hopefully, we gain a little bit more clarity on this episode of What the Truck because we've got some great guests with us, but. In the keynote today, do you have any takeaways from that? Craig Fuller, he caught up with Amy Davis from Cummins. Uh, you, you, know, you know, I did have some good takeaways. That was a really, really good keynote, by the way. It really way. was. She's, she obviously knows her stuff. She's, she's obviously very, very... And it wasn't just uh, corporate speak, as we've seen before, yeah. right? I mean, it was really interesting. Good stuff. So the, the takeaway that I took from, from that is really when she started talking about how, you know, the cost of the infrastructure and building this thing out and what you're talking to, all these different answers or questions, they need to be answered. And that's going to it, make it have to come out in a metered pace, right, as we adopt this, especially who's going to pay for this different infrastructure. Yeah. Because ultimately, we're all going to pay for it, not in a negative way. But we're good. I mean, I don't mean that in a negative way. We're going to have to because we have to go forward, right? Yeah, There's going to be costs associated with this, and things are going to change. And uh, it's really interesting. Very yeah, interesting. And you mentioned infrastructure, big point that's coming up. But it's coming in the comment section today, too. We're going to have Alan Adler on in a little bit. We're going to do a Q&A with him based on the comments that you have all put in the comment section. So if you have more, throw them in there. We'll get some. But a big thing that you mentioned right there infrastructure, regulatory. A couple, uh, couple episodes ago, we spoke uh, about uh, NHTSAs, right? The new reporting yeah. requirements for crash standards sure. that are coming in. You look at the Invest in America Act and the inroads that are being made there. And, but then you have all the regulatory hurdles that go on up on uh, Capitol Hill and what gets pushed through. So a long way to go, but the demand is there. And Amy talked about that. She said there's more orders than they can produce right now. Now, granted, yeah. there's a few things that stand in the way of them, some being technological, some being logistical, some, some of them being legal. And we talked about that early, and you said, you know, and your reaction to, to, to that was, and it makes perfect sense, is it doesn't matter what the reason is. The orders are outpacing the production that can be done, right? Yeah. So there's things that even battery production, et cetera, on the EVs needs to be. The other important thing that I, I took away with that, if, if, if it's all right to bring it up, is uh, I think it is, but is uh, is greenwashing. You know, yeah. Craig uh, Fuller, our, our CEO here and founder at, at Freightways, asked Amy about, you know, are you finding more greenwashing or, or is that prevalent or are there really, really commitments? Is it greenwashing to say, hey, we're going to be a fully autonomous by 2035 or fully electric? by 2035 or 2040, sure. or are you finding real commitments? And her answer was more real commitments than greenwashing, right? Yeah, and Which by greenwashing, you mean great. like passing the buck through like carbon credits and those kind of things? Well, it's taking credit for stuff that isn't really uh, considered green, and I don't think carbon credits is that. I think offsetting your 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 carbon footprint is legitimate, right? Yeah. It's, the, it's the greenwashing where maybe you're claiming that uh, X amount is recyclable when it really isn't, right? Or, or we're actually carbon neutral when we're not without those. So. 
And the other thing we're hearing too is a lot of companies admit the need for partnerships. And this is an industry that doesn't always get along. But yeah. a lot of technologies to advance forward, you need standards, right? You need yep. buy-in. And you need an industry where when we talk about the supply chain here, you're talking about supply chain, you're talking about on average 16 different stakeholders touching freight. 16 yeah. different stakeholders. And at some point, this has to fit into that supply chain with a number of those stakeholders and those partners where they can all work together, cooperate, and make these things happen. Absolutely. But it's an exciting time, man. I'm a child of the 80s. I grew up on robots. And look, we're talking about <laughs> robot trucks today. Super exciting. If you missed any of the sessions we have going on today, go to live.freightwaves.com. Question we always get on here, what happens if we miss it? All of these sessions are recorded. They're all on demand. You can also listen to them on audio. Look up Freightcast wherever you get your podcasts. We have every single Freightways podcast all on one feed, including everything you'll hear at this event today. You can download the Freightways TV app. You can go to tv.freightwaves.com or on this very site, live.freightwaves.com. Click on any session on the agenda after it's happened, as soon as it's been uh, processed and uploaded to the server. Then you can click on that session and you can Rewatch it. It's been a great time. We also have to uh, give a shout out here, right? It is the three-year anniversary of Locomation. That's Locomation, right. thank you guys so much. We had them on. They were telling us about those uh, NHTSA standards on um, episode What's Truck we had uh, a couple days ago. So, yeah, absolutely. Right now, though, we're going to welcome up Sean Kerrigan. He's a COO of PLUS, and he's here to join us today out of, I believe, California. But let's check with him. Sean, how are things going over there? Great, great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, now, we're, we're based out here in Cupertino, California. Now, is, so is the death of Cupertino, are those uh, reports a little too premature? <laughs> yes, I think those are premature. Yeah, every, everything is, I think, going strong as we've seen basically everything coming back to life out here. We love to see it. We love to see it. And it's even a different tone than a lot of the events that we had last year. And we're excited to have you on because obviously this space, people have tons of questions. We need a lot of clarity. And today you're going to help us understand the state of autonomous trucking and uh, technology development. So what is the status of commercialization of autonomous trucks in the industry? And where's plus on that commercialization timeline? Yeah, thanks. So, so, so we're a level four autonomous technology developer. Uh, and so we're real excited. We're launching some of our initial products this year, actually, as driver-in products. Uh, so driver-in products that, that, that improve overall safety, improve driver comfort, and improve fuel efficiency, right? So reducing both cost and uh, helping reduce CO2 emissions. Excellent. So, Sean, why, why, did, uh, plus, why did you guys go the route of driver-in products? Yeah, so, so we're focused on building full level four technology sort of driver out. But I think as you alluded to earlier in the segment, right, there are a lot of things that need to come together uh, before you can get to that full driver out in terms of both regulatory and hardware and other aspects. Uh, and so what we found is, is that we can actually take our level four technology and deploy it in a governed and repackaged format today to start delivering value to customers. Uh, and so as we talked to some in initial potential customers about that, we saw there was a lot of excitement about the types of value this technology can bring in terms of the safety, the fuel economy, and, and the driver comfort. Well, speaking of customers, there's a little-known one called uh, Amazon. Some of you may have heard I've, of Amazon. Do they sell books <laughs> online or something? They Something like that. <laughs> in a garage, you always see that yeah, picture of Bezos like with it. Yeah. Well, they've ordered 1,000 <laughs> units from, from you. Very exciting. Congratulations. A little cowbell for that. Tell us about the deal. What's it mean for Plus? Yeah, so I, I can't talk about any specific customers like that. But what I can say is I think across the board is we've talked to fleets and they've seen what this type of technology can do. I think everybody is really excited, right, in terms of the, the benefits that this will bring. 
Uh, and it's, it's both those fleet customers as well as even we've brought in uh, sort of driver focus groups to check out some of the initial technology if we put it together. And the feedback has just been a lot of excitement and overwhelming positivity in terms of what it can do. So uh, tell me, Sean, uh, um, why are why are big fleets choosing to install this now? Why aren't they waiting until this is completely, you know, hey, you can go driverless and everything's approved and, and deliver all over the place. Why are they choosing to bring the technology in now with the drivers? So I, I think a lot of fleets are looking at this as, as what what can and what can they do now? Like why why wait several years uh, for for future promise of some technology if you can start getting some of the benefit today? And so there are real challenges fleets have today, both in terms of of driver retention, in terms of wanting to to improve safety, uh, and also wanting to improve fuel economy. And this is technology that can help address all of those challenges for them. Now, speaking of fuel economy, right, your technology had promised to save around, what, 10% in fuel efficiency. How, how does that work? And, and mm-hmm. what's the deliverable here? How, what's the technology behind it that leads to those savings? Yeah, so, so what this, what this is, uh, what's involved there is, is that this is technology that, that can really optimally operate the vehicle on the highway with respect to traffic around you and make sure that, that you're really capturing the full fuel potential of what could happen out there on the road. And so what we see is, is that when you test that technology versus sort of, uh, sort of normal experienced fuel efficient drivers, is that, is that just the optimization that you can get with this type of technology contributes to just another level of fuel economy. So, Sean, regarding Plus Drive, uh, is it specifically uh, geared towards or is it more advantageous for certain fleets to use this over other fleets? What, what, what's the type of fleets where this is, is a most advantageous technology? Yeah, so I think the, the the fleets where this has the most benefit are just fleets where there's a significant amount of, of sort of over the road or, or, or highway driving, right? And so that encompasses, I think, a lot of fleets out there today. Um, but that's the the initial ODD for, for where we've launched the product. And so fleets that have that type of driving can see a lot of benefit from this type of technology deployment. What advice would you give to fleets who are tuning in today? They're curious about autonomous yeah. trucks. They're thinking about that build out, but they don't know where to start. I, mean, I think it, I, I would encourage them to, to, to check it out. I mean, I think that there's been a lot of really a lot of excitement across the space in terms of the potential benefits of this technology and the long term sort of transformative impact that it'll have. Um, but I think uh, we'd love to talk to them about what we can do for them today. This is this is technology that starting to come out in ways that can start to benefit them this year with their fleets. Wow. Hey, Sean, we, we really appreciate it. Where do people go to learn more information about about Plus and what your company offers? Yes, yeah, so they can just check out our website, uh, plus.ai. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you. Joining us on the show. Thank you so All much, right. Sean. Hey, so a lot going on there, a lot to, a lot to take in. Yeah, yeah, there, there really is. It's interesting to me, you know, safety, safety is obviously there, right? You, you see the safety aspect, but the uh, fuel economy, I really didn't under, I didn't, I didn't know that. I, it's not something that was brought up in the forefront, really, of autonomous vehicles. That yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's a lot of ways to get at fuel economy just because of the, the nature of the way supply chains are and they're fractured. And with multiple three PLs, like I used to work for a four PL and yeah. what we would do is route optimization through yeah, them. I mean, sure. Just using regular uh, Mercury Gate was a TMS we used. I had a route optimizer on there. And it was yeah. just cutting out those entry calories of freight, something we talked a lot about during our net zero carbon summit, something you can look into in Sonar now, right, with our net zero carbon tools. So there's inroads you can make now. And, I, you know, what I like to is a lot of guests admit this is – this is a work in progress. They're building this. They sure. need these partnerships. They need buy-in to in-cab technology and the like. 
Yeah, they 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 need uh, like plus needs Amazon and big fleets to take this in now with the drivers to learn more and more and more, right? Yeah. And we've and we've spoken to that, and I, I believe Alan Adler's written pieces about the safety drivers mm-hmm. that are in there working with of this course. technology, right? We'll get to him on that in just a second here. But as a comment, speaking of comments, right yeah, again, let's do we're going to be doing a Q&A with Alan Adler. But here's just a comment from the Peanut Gallery out of Lane Barclay. He says, <laughs> I didn't expect the dude to be so jacked. I've only listened to the pod. So give him a little flex. Give him a little more. Oh, there you go. Russell Muscle, see, what you don't know is we're the biggest tag team in freight. You stand You're me on his right. shoulders. We're bigger right. than a Tyrannosaurus Rex. We're like, I don't know, 450 pounds combined. When we're not here, we're out, we're out back and on, on the hoods of trucks doing, winning money on uh, yeah. arm wrestling. That's why they call us diesel and power. That's right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk to Crankshift over there. It Crankshift. is Alan Adler. This event, Alan, has been like uh, Adler Palooza. We've been seeing you on TV a lot. Now you were disguised in a what the truck hat. I am, but you know what? I was admiring how well you managed to pre-bend this, this lid. And I am really impressed, and thank you for giving me swag. Well, Alan, there's been a lot of comments here. I'm so glad at the engagement that's been going on this event, and it makes sense. This is a huge curiosity space, especially for us where a lot of us, our main discipline is freight, right? So getting, yeah. getting it right about this technology is, is very important. Um, so let's get into some of the first one here is from Felipe. He said, how do you rationalize the weight of the batteries versus truckload carrying? One is incompatible with the other. You reduce payload if you go all the way electrical. A huge, big point, probably one that every single fleet considers. And if you're selling to fleets, you need to consider because the main thing they care about is that weight. So, Alan, how do they address that? All right. Well, first of all, today there, there's not much of a trade-off. or Excuse me. There's not much you can do about it today. Batteries are very heavy. Uh, the Nikola uh, tray, probably 10,000 pounds of batteries. So, yes, you subtract that from payload and, you know, how much you can do. But I think everybody's waiting for both solid-state batteries and batteries that have greater energy density in them that allow you to go farther on, you know, sort of less uh, less battery weight and mass. Uh, that's something that's, that's going to happen over time. But early adopters, this is a penalty they're going to have to deal with. But part of the trade-off, I think, really is that uh, they want to be able to check the box for green. You guys mentioned greenwashing. I don't think it's that so much. But, uh, but they wanna, they've got their own environmental goals to reach. So, so you know, maybe for a while, part of your fleet gives up a little bit of that. But you're also getting benefits. You've got less maintenance on an electric truck. You've got a lot of things that, that fall in the advantage category. Uh, in, you know, you're still going to be running more, but if those trucks have greater uptime, then maybe you, know, you get a wash when, the, when you look at TCL, right? Yeah, so, Alan, uh, uh, Jeremy uh, asked the question. I think this is on a lot of people's mind. I know it's on mine as well as we get into this phase where there's trucks making decisions and things happening. Do you think that these autonomous vehicles will be self-insured? And who do you think is responsible for accidents on the road when one occurs? Well, isn't, isn't that the great ethic question that, that we all <laughs> want to know the answer to, right? I mean, you know, who's responsible if an, uh, if, if an uh, autonomous vehicle, you know, uh, goes nuts. And we, we saw that. I think one of our colleagues wrote about uh, the Stephen King novel. But, but seriously, I think overall you're going to see fewer accidents. But I did back in, in the Truck Talk newsletter a couple of months ago, we, we looked into the insurance question a little bit. And uh, a lot of it is going to be self-insured in the beginning. Um, you know, it's only going to be a portion of the fleet that's involved anyway. Uh, but I think that, you know, as the safety benefits bear out, 
then you're going to find out whether there's a separate package of insurance for it and that kind of thing. I, I think that, you know, a lot of these are unknowns today, but, but the people that are watching uh, Liberty Mutual and Too Simple have a deal right now where they're studying the whole idea of, of insuring uh, electric vehicle, excuse me, autonomous vehicles. Uh, so so a, lot, a lot more to, to be learned right now. Alan, I grew up in a house, uh, in a household where my, my dad was his insurance in his career. So oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's always top of mind. Uh, do you see, this is my own question, do you see like an iRobot type of scenario where in that movie, uh, due to insurance, like people would look at you, you're crazy if you wanted to drive your own car. Does it become so de-incentivized to drive your own car that actually down the road, we're talking about these liabilities, these reduced accidents, that it would be much more costly to have a human driver behind the wheel than an actual uh, autonomous driver? Well, I think, I, I, you know, when we come to passenger cars, certainly we're going to see more what mobility as a service, I think, is, is what it's called. And you're going to see more and more of that. On the trucking side, uh, I think we're a ways off from seeing, you know, a predominance of autonomous trucks. But I do think it's moving very quickly. It's advancing rapidly because this idea of doing hub-to-hub type of uh, driving, which is about 80% of autonomous trucking anyway, is something that they're figuring out very quickly. Uh, you know, Plus just mentioned it, and I think that you know, it's definitely something that is being done by others. Uh, you know, everybody pretty much in that autonomous trucking space is running uh, revenue loads, really, at this point, uh, in, from point to point, say, in Texas. Texas is very big for this right now. So I think, I think you're going to see more of it. I think you know, we've got... Uh, you know, there's 7,000 reservations, and we have to be really careful with things, words like that, but 7,000 reservations for this Navistar truck that they're doing with Too Simple for 2024. Uh, doesn't sound like a lot compared to how many trucks are sold every year, but think about a brand new technology that's never really been done before having that kind of interest. Yeah, so uh, Shirley asks, I want to hear more about what uh, the AV companies think about government role in the future. Uh, what do you have to say about that? What are the, what are the AV companies ta- talking about as far as the government's role in regulation? Yeah, well, I think uh, I think earlier in the summit today, uh, uh, Wiley Deck, who used to be the acting administrator at the uh, Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, was a guest, and he talked with our John Gallagher about that very thing. And and one of the reasons that the companies, the autonomous companies, are sort of bulking up on on former federal uh, officials is because they know that the that the end game really is going to be what the federal standards are for autonomous trucks. Today, you've got about 24 states that allow some some level of cross-border autonomous trucking, but you have some that are farther behind. So, uh, you know, this idea of getting uh, autonomous vehicle uh, standards, regulations in place, very important. I mean, in addition to Wiley Deck at Plus, you've got Jim Mullen, who used to be acting administrator and the chief legal guy at the FMCSA, uh, is it too simple? Uh, Elaine Chow, the former uh, transportation secretary, is now uh, on the board at Embark Trucks. So everybody's looking for where this is heading. It's one of the three big things that has to get figured out about autonomous trucks. Max has a question here that's similar to the one that we asked earlier, but maybe we can just drill a little bit deeper on the focus value proposition that these companies are trying yeah. to bring to traditional fleets and the way that traditional fleets sell. So when you want to sell to them, you have to sort of think like them. He writes the point of battery technology is not entirely focused on saving weight. The focus is a bit more on saving on fuel, be better for the environment. And if there's a weight savings involved, that would be perfect. 
I don't know how well that would go during a presentation at many of these large fleets. I would say that the main thing is they want to get as much freight in there as possible. But if you look at the environmental thing, the more weight you take away, the less freight you can put in, the more trucks you need to use, the lower those environmental returns are. So speak to that. Well, I think I think in the in the case of uh, of electric trucks, you know, one of the things you got to look at is, of course, you have no tail tailpipe pollution. Um, but depending on what that grid is uh, that's that's feeding the electricity, and if that's a coal fired grid, then you've got you know sort of upstream pollution, right? Um, but I'm not sure where the, the the part about the weight savings comes from because at this point, uh, you know, we we just discussed this that that really you know battery weight is an issue right now, and until we get to something that increases the energy density in those batteries, um, you know, it's going to be a bit of a penalty uh, for these things. But we also talked about some of the offsets. So, I, I mean, I think, I think there is definitely uh, some fuel saving because, again, these are very well-behaved trucks. Uh, they're, they're governed in such a way that, uh, you know, they're not going to be, uh, you know, driven uh, haphazardly. They're going to have a very... Uh, steady as you go kind of approach, whether they're in the left lane at 65 miles an hour or whether they're, you know, uh, behaving well for uh, traffic cutting in on them on the on the right lane. It, it, it is an interesting thing to dig yeah. into, Dooner, and, and just uh, I'd like to bring something up because a, a Amy Davis in the keynote brought this up, and yeah. she spoke about regulations and how regulation and re, the regulatory environment in places like uh, 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 California, right, actually uh, does some very, very good things in inspiring us to move forward when technology kind of goes goes south on us. Now, we're going to go into a bit of a lightning round, Alan, because uh, you've only got about two minutes left before we jump to our next guest here, and I want to get to all these questions. Let's go to Jake. Battery swap stations will introduce near instant charging true false false uh, been talking about battery swaps for years hasn't really gained any traction yeah equipment positioning very tough in freight very tough in freight that's why a lot of companies pivoted from putting batteries on trailers because of those very reasons okay here comes from jeremy do you think autonomous vehicles will be uh self-insured we actually kind of got to that one right who do you think is responsible for the accident on the road still got to figure that out um so let's care for the last one other than regulatory and policy change do you see big infrastructure change to accommodate the av thank you you've got about 90 seconds to go on here yeah, on the, on the infrastructure side, obviously, you know, we've got the government uh, uh, talking about, you know, uh, spending money for infrastructure. Uh, you've got people aren't necessarily waiting around for that. You've got some startups that are in that space. Uh, certainly, uh, ChargePoint comes to mind uh, with the infrastructure. We, we heard from Jack Allen this morning at Proterra. They're working on infrastructure. Uh, there, there are lots and lots of folks that are looking at, you know, how do we get these vehicles charged? Uh, both efficiently and quickly. I like what Daimler Trucks did up in Portland with this electric island that they started where they've got, you know, uh, megawatt chargers for trucking. This is going to be important because you can't use a 110-volt uh, uh, trickle charge on an uh, on a, on a electric truck. It's just not going to work. You'll be there for weeks. Alan, I appreciate it. You have a couple great articles up. Tell the people where they can find them. I, speaking of our next guest, you actually just published one that's with AI. But prior to that, you have one also about safety drivers. It's also a great article. Everyone should go out and read it. Where do they find it? Yeah, you can, you can find, uh, find my work on FreightWaves.com. And uh, you can also uh, reach out to me at A. Adler, A-D-L-E-R, just like on the screen, at uh, FreightWaves.com. Happy to hear from anybody. Take a look at Truck Talk on Fridays. That's our weekly newsletter where we're trying to get a little perspective and context into what we're doing. 
Thank you so much, Alan, for joining us and for putting on a great event. Now we are going to bring up Jordan Green. He's the co-founder, GM of ADAS, and VP of Corporate Development at Full disclosure, I have originally read this. And I feel like a moron now because actually I think about it. I, originally I did the same thing, man. AIA, but it's actually AI and it's already phonetical. I was like trying to phonetic my own way out of spelling it. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us on the show. A lot of people uh, have, have an issue with the, with the pronunciation of the name, so no big deal. <laughs> yeah, well, where did the name come from, AI? So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great story, actually. So, uh, my co-founder, Louis Dassan, actually comes from the aerospace and defense community. And a lot of the solutions he was working on in that community was similar to that of an artificial eye. It was actually using a number of different sensors, LIDAR, camera, radar, in a harmonious way to make it very similar to the human eyes and the visual cortex. And so we were seeking out the goal of actually imbuing these vehicles with a, a human eye. And we decided that we wanted to have an artificial eye. You were talking about iRobot, and it's a, you know similar concepts of what we what we were envisioning. Excellent. So, uh, Jordan, you have some uh, uh, recent news with uh, Too Simple. Can you summarize that for us? Yeah, yeah, happy to do so. And, and just to really quickly highlight the the background of the company, what what we do yeah. is that we're the we would say we're the global leader in intelligent high performance lidar solutions. And so what that actually means is our goal is to accelerate autonomous mobility uh, with a focus on technology that is safer, smarter, and faster than uh, most of the other solutions on the market today. Uh, and so recently, you're right, exactly, we announced uh, with Too Simple a partnership that brings us one step closer to making autonomous trucking a reality. And the goal is on you know, logistics, moving things. It's a part of driving autonomy. Uh, you know, we'll increase safety, uh, efficiency, reduce costs, and ultimately, you know, drive, drive the adoption that'll help with the logistics uh, community here. Sounds awesome. You know, one time I made the mistake of going into uh, a Tesla Reddit thread and I was like, what's the difference between LiDAR, radar and the other solutions out there? And it started this huge, gigantic flame war on all sides. So <laughs> you tell me, why is LiDAR or IDAR, as you guys call it, why is that better than these other solutions? Yeah, it's a great question. I always uh, I think when when I talk to everyone, they ask, you know, why is LiDAR so important? And LiDAR is really important because it is a deterministic sensor. And what that actually means is you have the ability to measure in 3D. And that's really important because if you're trying to navigate through the world, you as humans do it inherently, right? You have the ability to use your bifocal eyes to be able to actually figure out where things are in the 3D space. And, and LiDAR is exactly that. It allows you to range and figure out exactly where things are. Cameras interpret. Radars have uh, you know, somewhat poor resolution. LiDAR is the only thing that can tell you with absolute certainty if something is there in front of you or around you. Um, and so that's what helps you do it. And then the truth is that LiDARs today, what they don't do is act similar to that of the human eyes and the visual cortex in the sense that they actually just try to process the world and process as much information as possible um, without taking into account high-risk items. So at AI, what we did was we sought out to deliver a solution that would be able to add intelligence and make it so that you could have a system like the human eyes or the visual cortex in your in your autonomous truck that would allow you to navigate through the most complex environments. It's really, really interesting stuff, and I love the the discussion between the two. Is is it lidar versus ra radar, or is it both in conjunction that is the solution? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's all in conjunction. I think they're all complementary sensors. We come from the defense industry, and in the defense industry, what we were really focused on was actually trying to use all those sensors in a very harmonious way, building these targeting systems that we use camera and radar and LIDAR. And it's really, really important to use them together because there's a lot of benefits that you get from each. And again, it would be like me asking you, you know, if you were to drive down the, the, the road or even to just walk down the road, which sensor would you prefer in your body? You'd probably say, I'd like to have all of them. But if I had to have one, I'd probably prefer my eyes. And, and so LiDAR and camera kind of like your eyes. Got so you. I, I got a question for you. Are there... With eyes, right, if there's really bad conditions, if we're using the, the eye analogy or they're in a blizzard or so, like I'm from mm-hmm. the northeast, if there's a blizzard uh, totally. or heavy rain or you're up in – like I used to go through Vermont, you're up in high altitude. Any issues with, with these cameras that we're still trying to solve or are we getting past that hurdle? Yeah, it's a great question. Actually, so we use a different wavelength than most use, which is called 1550 nanometers. Most of the other sensors on the market today use what's called 900 nanometers. It's getting a little technical, but what that means is 900 is actually very similar to the human eyes and the visual cortex in the sense that it's in a similar wave band that you actually can see. Uh, and so you see color, which is you know about 450 to about 850, 900 is just outside of that, which means that 900 usually has more susceptibility to rain, fog, snow, and so on because of certain scattering principles. 1550 is in a completely different uh, uh, you know, completely different area, which means that you have the ability to actually see through extreme fog, extreme uh, snow, extreme rain uh, with, with you know, a, a unique ability to kind of punch through those environmental conditions and be able to see the hard targets behind it, which is really, really powerful and really important. And that's one of the reasons that we recently actually published a, a third-party validated test um, where we showed that we could see objects out to 1,000 meters even in those really extreme environments. And yeah, you know, you use SWIR cameras today to be able to see through things like that. And this is just similar, uh, but, but using a, a laser instead of a camera. Well, Michael yeah. Vincent, let me tell you something here. Go you know, we have, we have NASA on this show once a month talking about deep space logistics and how those I'm aware, yes. come here on Earth. Well, right here down on Terra Firma, we're having LiDAR come down. LiDAR invented by NASA about 1960, so 60 years ago. Oh. Now it's just getting advanced. Eventually it could be moving trucks it's around. It's really awesome. It's really awesome. And I, you can see how that's going to move it out of the desert south, southwest into places like Boston and Cleveland, Ohio, and stuff like that, where as far as the autonomous vehicles. Talk about the distance viewing that and how that's important to the truck driver and the trucks, right? The distance out uh, observing a, a, an object. Yeah, absolutely. And I think trucking companies are, are taking note of this. Uh, and I think, you know, Too Simple had, a, had an announcement historically similar to ours, which was the ability to to detect or see objects out at a thousand meters. And AI delivers two times the range of any other LiDAR or any other long range LiDAR company. And that enables trucks to navigate through the most complex environments at high speeds. And the reason this is, is because if you have a truck that's weighing 80,000 pounds and you're driving at highway speeds, you need 750 meters to a thousand meters to stop, which means that you need to see an object whether it be an overpass that you can't clear or whether it be a flip truck or a stalled car or something else at that distance. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to stop in time. And so that's really, really important. And AI is the only one that can actually deliver that type of range. And so these are the types of things that you have to consider when you're trying to build an autonomous vehicle or autonomous truck. 
Hey, Jordan, thanks for giving us this education on LiDAR. It's, it's, it's been great to hear. I learned a few things. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go, we actually have a, a question for you. Yan Pudman, and this is an easy one. He says, where does a carrier that want to equip his trucks with autonomous technologies, where should he start his shopping? Sure, absolutely. I think, you know, the interesting thing is there's a, a number of uh, system integrators and, and, and tier ones that are currently collaborating on this and then trying to build these optimal solutions. And we recently announced a partnership, AI recently announced a partnership with Too Simple to develop uh, this exact type of solution. So I think you would turn to the system integrators like Too Simple that work with the LiDAR technology providers like AI and, and oftentimes have tier ones such as Continental, who we partner with and, and manufacture with uh, to actually deliver on that type of autonomous vehicle level four solutions for the trucking space. Nice. Well, November 8th to 10th, you guys need to bring all this technology. Everybody who's listening today who's trying oh, yeah. to show off this technology, bring it right down here to Chattanooga, November 8th to 10th. It's the Festival of Freight. All of us will tear down these digital walls. We'll all be here in person. We'll get to look at this stuff in action, hopefully. Thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jordan. Hey, you like watermelon? I love watermelon. So it's our, watermelon season, too. I read an article about what happened here with a, an autonomous truck delivering some watermelon. Ever since I read I've been wondering for the longest time, was it seedless or not? We'll find out. We got her here today. It's Christina LaRusso, Business Development Director over that the Giamara Companies. Hello. How are you? Hi. Hi, guys. Nice to going? see you. You always deliver Good. watermelons in autonomous trucks? What's that? Are you always delivering what? Is that like your hobby, delivering watermelons in autonomous trucks? Yeah, that was- that's, that's a, it's, you know, I have a gripping life and it revolves around watermelons and autonomous trucking. Now, Didn't, um, a watermelon I, truck, this is, Didn't a watermelon truck act- kill woman number two in uh, uh, Maximum Overdrive? Well, yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! I don't. I'm, is that real? I, 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 I don't think so. seen a maximum overdrive. There's a bridge maximum. that goes out of control, and there's like a there's a uh, well, a comet did. Yeah, it, there's right? a watermelon truck that that watermelons just spill on everybody. <laughs> anyway, oh, oh, okay. Well, what a way to go. I guess I don't know. <laughs> so um, yeah, I I, uh, I I appreciate you guys having me on. I uh, thanks very much. We're grateful to to get the exposure. So people who are unfamiliar with the, what, what, what was that project? So were the watermelons seedless or were they not? And what was the point of uh, this delivery? They were all, they are seedless. Yep. Um, so we partnered with Too Simple um, on this project. We're my, the company that I work for, the Jamara companies, we have been a long-term, we're almost a hundred years old <clears throat> in the produce industry. And we have a multitude of products. Watermelon is, is one of our, um, uh, most significant categories that we sell. Um, and we started the partnership with Too Simple because my boss, Tim Riley, is very passionate about making sure that we are listening to our accounts, our retailers that we work with, and trying to ease some pressure points. And as you might imagine, around supply chain and particularly logistics, there are a lot of like a lot of places where um, reta- retailers feel a little bit of, of pain. And so what we're trying to do is always alleviate that as much as possible. Um, and Tim is very tech-focused, and he started the partnership with Too Simple, and we did a, uh, it was a four-week test um, where we brought, it was the middle leg of the journey. So we, we it was uh, standard trucking from our facility in Nogales, um, Arizona, and then we took it up to Tucson to uh, the Too Simple hub, and from Tucson to Dallas Fort Worth, 
the, the drive was autonomous and it was extremely exciting to be a part of this. Um, I, it's, I believe the very first time that fresh product has been um, transported in this way. So this has been a really great experience. We partnered on the other side of things with, with one of our major accounts, AWG, and the watermelon was then taken to, um, to their facility in Oklahoma City via traditional trucking and distributed from there to two retailers who featured the product in their stores and made a big deal of it and had um, a lot of cute marketing materials and signage around it telling the story. So it was, it, and we got some great feedback from our, from our customers and within the, the produce trade. That's really that's really cool. So, Christina, can you talk to uh, how the, the the trucking industry obviously is very integral into the produce industry? But how does the autonomous mm-hmm. vehicles? How is that? Can you talk to the benefits that's going to produce for the, for the businesses and the consumers alike? <clears throat> yeah. Well, I think what what we're really excited about first and foremost um, as as a produce company, we want to get we want to always deliver the freshest product um, and using autonomous trucking is eventually going to get us to a point where we're shaving off several days of travel, potentially, because, of course, you don't have a driver who's beholden to the regulations of having to stop and all of the rest. And so so we are um, we're very excited about the possibility of being able to cut cut time off in transport. What that ends up doing is offering our retailers and ultimately consumers, end users of the product, um, a little bit more life to that product. So it's, it's giving it a little bit more shelf life in retail, and it's giving it a little bit more shelf life in your refrigerator or on your counter at home. So let me ask you this. Is this tech a good fit for all kinds of produce and watermelons? Longer shelf life than, say, I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, tomatoes or something to that effect. So does mm-hmm. the efficiencies that is enabled, is, is the benefits, could they be across the board? And if so, does that change how produce is harvested in the, the sort of the very nature of the way you run your ins and outs at docks? Uh, I absolutely uh, think that it, this is going to it's going to change. It's going to change a lot of things. It does translate across all categories of, of product. As you pointed out, watermelon has a pretty pretty long shelf life anyway. But put, now imagine us being able to do this with berries, or with grapes, or other things that maybe have that they're a little bit more sensitive in terms of timing. We uh, import a, a, an amazing product. It's an Australian mango, but it it doesn't travel as well from uh, once once we get it here. It's air freighted here from Australia, but it it's very sensitive, and so we have to we've kind of been limited to marketing it in the, in the, on the West coast, because that's where it arrives in, in our, in our facility at Long Beach. But with autonomous trucking, what we can do, it, the potential is we can put those on a truck and get them to the Midwest or maybe even to the East coast, because we're going to shave off some time of that trip. And, um, and so that's fantastic. I mean, I think it's going to open up, it's going to bring new flavors, new items to locations in the Midwest and potentially even, you know, like food deserts where people are not really getting um, easy access to deliveries of groceries. This could be this could be a game changer in that in that arena as well. And then you that. also mentioned. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, well no, go, go for it. I'm sorry. Go for it. OK, so well, the other thing you mentioned was how it might uh, impact growers. And this is this is really going to be an interesting thing because growers and this last last summer, we did a test, uh, another autonomous test um, around uh, stone fruit. This was with a 
an airplane. So it's really not relevant to the, the discussion, except to say that when we started doing the, the test on, those, on that stone fruit, the growers were talking to me and said, hey, this is going to change the kind of fruit that we, we uh, grow. Because they started planting, uh, some growers started planting fruit that would withstand a longer drive, but maybe didn't have the same great flavor profile or perfect flavor profile as other, other fruit that was maybe, you know, not as hardy to, to withstand a five or six day drive across the country. So they, the growers are actually very excited with the idea of being able to go back to some varieties that they haven't been able to plant. And that's going to change, again, the eating experience that people have in the Midwest or on the East Coast. Um, West Coasters get it because it's right there. But this this is a game changer, too, for growers. Oh, yeah. Hey, Christina, people who want to wow. connect with you, get more insight and information, hear your expertise, where should we send them to? Uh, you can ha- have them reach out to me on my on my email. It's Christina with a K, Christina.LaRusso, L-O-R-U-S-S-O, at Giumara.com, G-I-U-M-A-R-R-A.com. Thank you so much awesome. for your time today and for sharing the story about the watermelons. We appreciate it. Thank Thanks you, for having us. Thank you very much. Take care. Well, you know, wild stuff. Wow. It, it, that stuff started to come up at the end there, how it fundamentally changes the, the nature of a shipper's business and even how they're thinking about harvest. Well, I mean, and take it to a, another conclusion. Does it change uh, GMO um, strategies when you can get there faster and it can, you can move less hardy fruit far, further? You know, everything, I, everything's time and money. In this I, world. It, it is. I wish you could help me pick better avocados because they're always raw when I pick them up at the store and then they're, they're past expiration by the time I get home. They're such a frustrating thing to me. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, we'd like to thank our guests on What the Truck today. If you enjoyed this show, this is a podcast that happens three times a week uh, when there's not events. Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, we air live at noon Eastern time on tv.freightwaves.com, freightwaves.com, the Freightwaves TV app, also social media like LinkedIn and Facebook. And of course, you can also catch us on demand. You can either watch the show at, as we mentioned, tv.freightwaves.com or download that aforementioned app. Look up What the Truck on your favorite podcast player of choice if you like walking around or if you want every single Freightways podcast all on one feed. We have like 20 shows now, plus the events. There's a ton of content on the feed. It's called Freightcast. Look up Freightcast wherever you get your podcast. You want to connect with us? This is an event, man. Make a friend. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Timothy Dooner, D-O-O-N-E-R, or on Twitter, at Timothy Dooner. Find him at Michael Vincent or at Vincent the Dude on Twitter. I don't. What's your major takeaway for today? Oh, man. (laughs) We're in good hands, and it's going to move, come, and it's going to come pretty quick. Hey, we're going into lunch. Enjoy it. We'll be back with more of the summit when we come back.